I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church. Can you can you hear me okay? Awesome. It's so good to be here with you this morning. My name is Sebastian. I'm the pastoral resident. Can you? Is that better? Hello? Okay. Oh, man. Let's see. I don't have a beer. Come on. What? Hear me okay. Awesome. Well, it's so good to be here with you. My name is Sebastian. I'm the pastoral. Insurance in Jesus. Now, let me start by sharing something with you. Um, Actually, let me ask you this. Have you ever doubted your faith? Have you ever doubted your salvation? Have you ever doubted what you believe? Growing up, my family and, and, and I, being part of my family, we would go to church every Sunday. And in the church that I grew up in, it was a church that uh, would preach that Jesus came to give us all a second chance, that he came to die for our sins, that we have a second chance, but we better not mess it up. That we had to not only earn our salvation, but keep our salvation. And that looked like this. For me, in order for me to know that I was saved, I needed to display not the fruit of the Spirit, but the gifts of the Spirit. I grew up in an environment that would tell me that in order for me to be saved, I needed to speak in tongues. I needed to prophesy. I needed to do healing work. I don't want to make this story long, but I could go all day. However, this is the short version. Because I grew up without having assurance in my salvation, 
because I grew up without having assurance in Jesus, I ended up walking away from the faith. It got to a point where I said, forget it. I'm never going to be good enough to earn my salvation. I'm never going to be good enough to keep my salvation. There is no point. I am hopeless. I think a lot of people go through that nowadays with this movement called deconstructionalism. I don't know if you've heard of it. People walk away from the faith. Berna, uh, Berna Group did a study here in the U.S., Uh, They wanted to know how many people in the U.S. have struggled with their faith, have doubted what they believe. They found out that 52% of adults and teens here in the U.S. have experienced religious doubts in the past few years. They have doubted what they believe. Out of these, 12% are frequent doubters, 16% occasionally doubt, and 24% sometimes doubt. They were also asked, how true is this statement? They would say, I have gone through a prolonged period of time where I doubted my faith. Well, 28% of the people said completely true. 31 said somewhat true. 22% said somewhat not true. And 31% said not true at all. There is no doubt, as as last week Brian mentioned this to us, there is no doubt that our culture is inundated with half-true lies. And it's so easy to become destabilized and become overwhelmed with so many things that come at us. It becomes difficult to navigate through the messiness. So, if you can relate, if at some point you have doubted your faith, doubted your salvation then I'm so glad that you're here this morning because I think that John has something very special for us. So before we dive into it, let's pray. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for making this day for us to come and rejoice in your house, in your presence with the saints. Father, as, I, as we open up your word, I pray that you would open up our hearts and open up our minds and our eyes to be sensitive and receive the message that you have for us today. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this morning, I believe that John has this big idea with this text. And I think the big idea of the text is this. Because we believe in the name of the Son, we know we have eternal life. Engage your mind a little bit. Think about this truth. Because we believe in the name of the Son of God, we know that we have eternal life. I think that in this text, we're going to be able to see three main points that I want to share with you. The first one is that John wants us to know that we have eternal life. John tells us that we have confidence in our prayers and in our approach to God. And that we have assurance in Jesus for protection. This is what we're going to get to see in our text this morning. So, let's dive right in. What is John saying about our eternal life? He says this, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. 
that you may know that you have eternal life. This verse is the climactic verse of the whole book. Like, this is the thesis, right? I don't know if you remember, like, when I was in high school, I came from Mexico to the U.S., and and when I went into high school, I didn't even know how to write an essay. So as they would teach me how to write an essay, they would tell me, my my teacher would tell me, make sure you emphasize this. This is your thesis. This is your main point. This is how your readers will know what you are going to be talking about. Well, for John, here it is. John's main concern is to let the people of God know that we have eternal life. And when John writes these things, as he says, I write these things, he's not only capturing the previous verses that we covered last week, he's he's actually talking about everything that we have covered from the beginning of the series till today. We've talked about the incarnation of Jesus in the beginning We've talked about the message that we received from the beginning, that God is light, in Him there is no darkness. And because we are of Him, we walk in the light, we practice righteousness, we confess our sins, we love our brothers. This is who we are. We talked about this. Then there is those who were with us, went out from us, because they were not of us. We know this as the world. Those who practice lawlessness, those who hate their brother, those who don't confess their sins because they say there's no sin in me, right? All of these things, all of this has been written so that we can know, not so that we may have a guess, not so that we may wonder if we do, it's so that we may know. If you can remember, uh, throughout the series, we talked about this three tests that John has for us. The first one is all about obedience. This is to walk in the light, to follow Jesus as we walk in the light. The second one is a social one. It's about relationship. Is that as we follow Jesus, we must also love our brothers and sisters. And the third one is doctrine. It's about the right teachings. This is about the importance of standing firm in the truth of the gospel. So through the letter of John, he repeats these things over and over. He emphasizes these things over and over. So he says this, If you believe in the name of the Son, check. If you love your brothers and sisters, check. And if you love God's commands, check. Then you have assurance. This is exactly for you. Now, what does it mean when John talks about believe in the name? What is this? John is using this phrase to capture the whole message of the gospel here. It is implied that we can know and we can have assurance, not because we are accomplishing something for ourselves, but because Christ lived a life that we couldn't live. Because Christ died the death that we deserve because we sinned, we transgress against the holy God, and because Christ rose again so that we could be transferred from enemies of God to children of God. This is where our confidence comes this morning for all of us. It's all about the finished work of Christ. That's what it means to believe in the name of the Son of God. So now, 
These things were written for us who believe in the name of the Son, so that we can know that we have, what do we have? Eternal life. What is that? I'm glad that you asked. Let's talk about it. Eternal life for us is not, it, it doesn't mean just going, escaping death and judgment. There, there's so much more to, to this. Because Jesus also says that our eternal life is that our spiritual hunger and our thirst is satisfied. Jesus is saying this in John 4, 14. It says this, But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In chapter 6, verse 36 of the Gospel of John, Jesus says this, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, eternal life is also the promise that we have that we will be raised on the last day. John 6, 40 says this, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. I will raise Him up on the last day. And lastly, Jesus tells us, He tells us what eternal life is. John 17, 3, He says, And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, let, let's, let's understand. Let, let, let's, let's make sure that we understand what John is doing here. Because he, he doesn't want us to get a, a false sense of assurance. Let's not get the wrong impression here. Because this assurance is a conditional one. This assurance is conditional upon an authentic relationship with Jesus. Without Jesus, there is no assurance. So this assurance is not just for anybody, but only for those who receive Jesus and believe in his name. So this morning, if you are here and you are a believer, take comfort in this truth. This is for you. But if this morning, you're not a believer, I'm so glad that you are here with us today. And I would like to encourage you to consider Jesus. Consider who he is. Consider what he has done. You see, in Christ, there is absolutely no need to earn your salvation, to earn your approval. There is no need for you to keep your salvation he does that for us. That is the good news of the gospel. This is what makes the gospel so different than any other religion. Now, we know that we have eternal life. But how do we live into our assurance? How do we live into it? And how do we help other people to live into this assurance? Let's go to John, uh, 1 John Chapter 5, verse 14 says this, And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. See, we have confidence in our prayers, and we have confidence in our approach to God. Church, 
this confidence is real and is for us now because we can boldly approach God and be sure that he hears us when we pray to him. This is what John highlights. He highlights this reality that we can actively approach God and have fellowship with him. There is a theological term in seminary that I learned about God. He's transcendent. That he is so far above anything else. He's so far apart from us because of his holiness. He's transcendent. And when you hear that, that can become intimidating for you. How can I, a sinner, approach such a holy God? But there's also another term that I learned in seminary. That the God is imminent. That God is Emmanuel. God is with us. This is what we're talking about here. God is not distant from us. He's near us. He's with us. We can boldly approach him because of what Christ has done. So let me remind you of the passages from last week. We saw that there are three that testify concerning the Son of God. Verse 7 in chapter 5 says this, For there are three that testify. The spirit and the water and the blood. And the three agree. These three testify to us the reality of the person, the finished work of Christ. And I apologize for the mic. Here's what I'll do. Okay. How's that? Is that okay? Sweet. Okay. So, talking about the three that testify, let's get back into it. The three that testify, they testify to the reality of the person and the finished work of Christ. And and, and I just, I think that the author of Hebrew does a good job in, in, in sort of unpacking our confidence, our assurance, and what that looks like that we can boldly approach God. If we go to chapter 10 of Hebrews, it says this. We're going to start in verse 14. There are three that testify. Remember this. For by a single offering, he, who's that? Christ, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Who is that? Us, those who believe in the name of the Son. And the Holy Spirit, there's one, also bears witness to us. Let's go to verse 19. Therefore, he says, because all of this is true. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, what is that? To have access to the presence of God by, get this, the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we, those who believe, we have a great high priest who is Christ over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, full of assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. There's the three right there. So, let us hold fast to the confession of our faith, of our hope, without wavering. Why? Why can we have assurance? Why can we have assurance? Why can we have confidence? 
Why can we know these things? For he who promised is faithful. You see, these three testify concerning the Son of God, but also testify to the source of our assurance. And they testify that God hears us, that we can approach him because he hears us. Now, I've had many friends that when we talk about prayer, they like to use Psalm 37 verse, uh, 34 verse 7 um, or 37 verse 4 to talk about prayer and how they think that as long as we delight in the Lord, we can ask God anything and he will give us anything that we want. Well, that is not, that is not the point. That is not the case. That's just simply a misinterpretation of the text when it says, delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. God is not going to give you whatever you want. In this context, it means that when we delight in the Lord, our hearts align to God's will, and we begin to desire what the Lord desires for us. This is why John gives us a qualifier in verse 14. This is what he says. When we ask according to his will. There is a quote from John Stott, or Stott, that in his commentary, um, he says this about prayer. He says, prayer is not a convenient device for imposing our will upon God or bending his will to ours, but the prescribed way of subordinating our will to his It is by prayer that we seek God's will, embrace it, and align ourselves with it. Every prayer is a variation on the theme, thy will be done. This is how we live into our assurance. It is by prayer that we subordinate our will to his will, that we surrender our will to be under his will. And by prayer, this is how we are being sanctified and we are being shaped into the image of God. We conform to his will. We become Christ-like. This is what the author of Hebrews said before, those who are being sanctified. Now, this is how we step into this assurance, but how do we help other people to do that? to live into their assurance, because it doesn't stop just with us. This is a horizontal thing, a vertical thing, and a horizontal thing. God in us, us in people. So, let's look at verse 16, but before we do that, I just want to give you a heads up, because this passage can be complicated, this passage can be confusing, and in all honesty, as I was preparing for it, I was like, what is this? What do I do with this? So, Let's be ready. Here's what verse 16 says. Let's read it all. He says this, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death, and I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. What? <laughs> right? A sin that leads to death? A sin that doesn't lead to death? I mean, I thought, I, I knew that the penalty for sin is 
death. And he's saying all wrongdoing is sin. So all sin, penalty, is death. What do you mean there's a sin that doesn't lead to death? Like what, what is he talking about? Um, for the sake of time, I'm not going to dive too deeply into this. If you want to have a conversation about this, we can have a conversation after church. I would love to, to talk more about this with you. But I think that um, even though theologians have argued for centuries about the meaning of, of, of this passage, what it means, I'm still going to give you sort of like three views, three different views uh, that, that talk about these things. Um, one view is about... Uh, referring to a specific sin. When we talk about the sin that leads to death, it's a specific uh, sin. And, and this is, with this view, I don't want to go too deep into this, but this is what I would say the Catholic Church holds to. This is what is known as, as the difference, the distinction between the mortal sins and the venial sins, one that leads to death and the other one that doesn't. There is another view that is all about apostasy. And this emphasizes that it's not a specific sin. This is not about backsliding. But this uh, is a sin of total denial of Christ. The renunciation of the faith. We, we could be talking about here of those who were with us and went out from us because they were not of us. And then the third one, it's all about the blasphemy of the Holy or the blasphemy against uh, the Holy Spirit. And this is when a person opposes and rejects the truth. First John chapter 5 or 6 tells us that the Spirit is the truth, so is the rejection of the work of the Spirit. I know that this is a lot. And, and if we die, we, we could probably have just three different sermons on each topic. But uh, even though this is confusing, I think that John is still telling us something that is really clear here that we cannot miss because he's, he's doing this. When we read this, we can see, number one, the sin is a big deal. Sin is a big deal. John wants us to be aware of this so that we don't fall into what is known as this cheap grace theology. Have you heard of it before? It's those who say, well, if Christ is the one who has given me salvation and he's securing salvation for me, then I can't lose it, so I can do whatever I want. I can commit sins and it'll be okay. God is going to forgive me anyways. That is not the truth. You see, John makes it very clear that believers do not live in this way. They don't think in this way. This is why he makes the point. Those who are born of God, what do they do? They practice righteousness. They walk in the light. And when we do sin, we confess them and find assurance of pardon because he is faithful to forgive us when we confess our sins. So we don't buy into the cheap grace theology. This is not for us. There's another thing that John also highlights here. He talks about how powerful our prayer is. John highlights the fact that prayer is powerful because God hears us. Because God answers our prayers when we ask according to his will. And this is why John tells us, Pray for your brother. When you see your brother committing a sin, pray for your brother. There is power in our prayer. What does this mean? This doesn't mean that, okay, I saw my brother sin. I'm going to go talk behind his back, and I'm going to go tell all these people. No, the first thing that we do is pray. 
Although this whole section of the text can be confusing, we cannot miss the main point of this specific text. So before you, maybe you wonder, well, the sin that leads to death, the sin that doesn't, have I committed the sin? Am I guilty of it? Am I aware of it? And, and, and you start to wonder all of these things. Know this, this is the main point, that God listens to our personal needs and he listens when we pray for others. This highlights for us, highlights God's care and, and makes us aware of God's preservation and protection from the evil one. If we continue to, to read in verse 18, this is what we see. So not only do we know that we have eternal life and that we can boldly approach God and know that he hears our prayers, but we also have confidence in Jesus for protection. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the, dev- and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that, by, so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Let me ask you this. Did you notice how John continues to emphasize and and highlights the things that we know? And when, when, when when we say we know, this is with certainty. The things that we know, he says, we know that the truth speaks against this cheap grace theology. Those who are of God do not keep on sinning. We know that those who are born of God are protected. We know that those who are from God, we know that we are from God. We know that the Son of God has come. We know him, and thus we know the truth. We know we are in him. One of my favorite passages, I would say maybe top five, and and that's, that's a big claim, um, is John 10, verse 27 and 28. When I think about protection, when I think about my assurance, I like to think of this verse. Because Jesus says this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. This is not something that depends on you. This is something that he does for us. So because we believe in the name of the Son of God, we know that we are in him. We are secure in him because nothing can snatch us out of his hand. So be confident and find comfort in that truth. When you're doubting your faith, when you're doubting your salvation, don't look within, but look to the cross. Look what Christ accomplished, what he did, how he lived, his resurrection. Look at the empty tomb. So as we find this comfort, we also, there's a challenge for us. If this morning you feel 
like you are caught in this habitual sin, in a sin that is out of character, that, that you know that God doesn't want you to keep doing, maybe this morning God might be confronting you with this reality so that you might be remembered or reminded of the truth. Maybe your heart has drifted from Jesus this morning. And this, receive this. This is an invitation for you to return to your authentic self, to walk with your Savior. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him. We know that when we walk with Jesus, we are saved from sin, and we are also protected from the evil one. Now, we're going to talk about the evil one, and and, in all honesty, I I don't really talk much about the evil one or Satan, but we're going to get to do that this morning, because verse 19 says this, we know that we are from God, this is what we know, but also the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. I think this is how we're going to tie the text to our cultural context. I don't know if you can agree with me, but I think it's easy to see that the evil one is not really hiding anymore. It is easy to see. I mean, when you turn on the TV, you can see artists dressed as Satan, worshiping Satan. From that to like now, I, didn't, I wasn't even aware of this, but there are after-school clubs, satanic after-school clubs for kids in the U.S. I know that it can be overwhelming when we talk about these things, but this is why, friends, hear me. This is why it's important to know the truth, to stand in the truth, right? Why? Because the truth tells us that we know what the outcome is. We know what Christ has done. We know that the kingdom of darkness doesn't even have a chance against the kingdom of light. You see, the truth is what we need. The truth is what we stand on. And John wants us to know the truth. In verse 20, he says this, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, In his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. All of this highlights this main point, this assurance that we have. We have assurance because we know that the son of God has come. And he has come to bring us from death to life. To bring us from being enemies of God to being children of God. To take us out from darkness and place us into light. How did he do that? We know that he went to the cross. There he dealt with our past and our present and future sin. And he did that fully and finally and forever. His sacrifice is sufficient for you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Praise be to God. Amen. So, now to close the chapter, this is a a, a funny verse. Well, not funny, but I think it's funny. How John closes his letter. Verse 21. 
You see, God, or John is highlighting the beauty and the supremacy of Jesus. He's like, he is the true. He has come. We are in him. Here, see him. Look at him. Behold him. This is what he's doing. And then he goes, little children, keep yourselves from idols. You see, he's calling us to not abandon the truth for lies. This is a call for us to not lose sight of Jesus, for us to set our eyes upon Jesus. This is for us to remember that Jesus is the way, that he is the truth, and that he is the life. So, let's wrap this up because I'm taking a lot of your time. Because you believe in the name of the Son of God, you know that you have eternal life. You know that you can boldly approach God and know that he hears and answers your prayers. And you know that he protects you from the evil one. So keep yourselves 